Okay, here we go. The New and Better Podcast, Episode 10. We call this next bit, The Tease. I don't mean to be critical of anyone. We're all doing the best we can. But uh, so many pastors seem to be afraid to, to put down the stick of fear. To, because they're afraid if people stop being afraid, they'll stop doing the things. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital booyah base. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant based on better promises. So, Check your religion at the door, grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. I shared something last week in relation to what Sean Bowles had shared about uh, having a hearing heart. And he had pointed to that Old Testament passage in 1 Kings, as you'll recall, where you know Solomon in a dream, God comes to him in a dream and basically says, what do you want? And Solomon says, give me a, a heart, an understanding heart or a hearing heart. Uh, in the Hebrew, a leb shema, uh, a heart that understands, a heart that hears. And um, what I pointed out, and this was so interesting, and it's so interesting that you're sitting here in the room, Bob, is that as I was processing Something I was looking at. I was looking at that verse, and I saw something that I pointed out last week. I'd never seen before in that verse, and that uh, the reason Solomon gave for wanting to have a, a hearing heart or a heart for understanding is so that he could determine good and evil. In other words, he said word for word in his verse, "Please let me have an understanding or a hearing heart, so that I may know good and evil." Well, we pointed that back to uh, the Garden of Eden, Eden and the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And um, it, it can seem odd or jarring to think about the fact that um, basically God endorsed, God endorsed Solomon's request at that moment, saying, okay, well, you've asked for a good thing. You haven't asked for riches. You haven't asked for all, you know, all this other you know, carnal stuff. You've asked for an understanding heart. Therefore, I'm granting it, that to you and a bunch of other stuff as well. And we talked about the fact that the Old Covenant, the, the reason that was validated by God, is because the Old Covenant was never designed to, nor did it ever have the power to undo what Adam and Eve had done in the fall by eating of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Uh, that wasn't the purpose of the Old Covenant. The purpose of the Old Covenant was to form a people that could then get the seed of the Messiah into the earth so that he could, with, with his own blood and body, create a new covenant that could indeed undo what Adam and Eve had done and return us, uh, move us away from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and to the knowledge of or the, the, the tree of life. And so we talked about uh, all of that, and it's interesting that at the moment I was processing and thinking about all of that, I saw a tweet from Mr. Bob Hamp talking about the fact that so many people are basically, so many believers are still just marching around. I, I'm, I'm going to butcher whatever it was you said. But, um, that, you always take my words and make them better. <laughs> <laughs> you do. 
It's, it's my one beauty. It's my one superpower. Um, you know, most believers are still marching around the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or, you know, they've moved from, from eating on one side of it to eating on the other. But it's still all about basically determining and knowing uh, good and evil. And, and um, in, in response to that, I uh, uh, thank you for liking my response. By the way, uh, I said something along the lines of, yes. Every time I hear a Christian say a sentence like, is it okay for a believer to blank? I know that that's a person who's at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that that person is literally barking up the wrong tree. Because first of all, what does okay mean? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so that was the whole line of thought that we discussed uh, last week and, and talked about that. But then there was a piece of it I'd meant to mention and that I failed to do. Uh, and um, well, let, let me just pull that up right quick and I'll show you um, that verse of Scripture. Uh, it was 1 Kings chapter 3, I think. Uh, let me get New American Standard. And let me enlarge that. So verse 8, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 8. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen... A great people who are too many to be numbered and counted. So, give your servant an understanding heart or a hearing heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil or to know good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So, Solomon's request for having a hearing heart was in order to discern or know good and evil, but applied to a certain purpose. What was the purpose to which it was applied? To judge. To, judge. to being a judge. Uh, I wrote up some thoughts about this. Some of you may have. Um, this is a painting up by Poussin of uh, Solomon judging where he was going to cut the baby in half. He wasn't really going to cut the baby in half, but he knew that that would, would basically bring the truth out. But one of the things that uh, it was the role of a king a ruler in the Old Testament paradigm was to being the judge. What's one of the primary jobs of the, of the king was to adjudicate disputes. Uh, it's what Moses ended up doing when he was the king priest of Israel. He was the proto, he was a proto king priest, king and priest uh, over the Israelites. You'll remember that everybody was bringing him their disputes to judge. And it got so overwhelming that he had to create an organizational system of lower courts who could adjudicate disputes. And that was certainly the case uh, with David as well. If you, you know, you read in uh, First and Second Chronicles, um, you know, David was finding himself too busy to, uh, or too distracted to adjudicate disputes as king. And so his rebellious son Absalom, who was trying to foment a, basically a coup and overthrow his father, would sit outside at the city gates and as the prince would adjudicate disputes and judge for people. So this whole judging thing was very much a role of, of the king. And again, that's very much in, uh, integrated into that whole Old Covenant Mosaic law thing. Well, what did Jesus tell us about judging? What was, what was, his, what was his directive about judging? Judge not. 
<laughs> judge not unless you be judged. Why? Because one, judging is something that happens at the, uh, at the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And secondly, that's the prerogative of the king. That's the, you know, that's, we're, we're taking the king's prerogative when we start, when we start trying to, uh, start trying to judge. So, um, I just wanted to point us to that, um, and, uh, you know, just put us in remembrance of the fact that the, the new covenant hearing heart is very much about the tree of life. And we saw in, um, we saw in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7, where Jesus said, Let him who has ears to hear, let him who has a hearing heart, uh, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And to those who overcome, I will give access to the tree of life. I will give the right to eat at the tree of life. Uh, and that's the new covenant hearing heart. The new covenant hearing heart is about being able to hear what God is saying for the voice of the Spirit so that we can direct others to the tree of life, so that we can partake of it uh, of ourselves and direct others uh, to the life that's available at the tree. And that tree is Jesus. Jesus is the tree of life uh, and the life, the life that is in, in Him. And it's not about the knowledge, knowing good and evil, and it's not about uh, judging, about being... Uh, being judgy. Thoughts, uh, observations uh, about that? Hey, up ahead, more delicious bits of insight about how hearing the voice of God clearly is so much easier if you're standing at the right tree. There's great stuff up ahead, but first, page two. Hey, let me quickly remind you about my devotional called Praying Grace for Women. Here's why I wrote it. Far too many Christian women, beloved daughters of God, are spread too thin, exhausted, stressed out, burned out, and living with chronic anxiety. And for many, prayer has become a fruitless, frustrating, joyless exercise. Yet another box to check, another duty to perform. Well, here's great news for the weary feminine soul. There's another way to pray, a more effective way that produces a refreshing, life-giving connection with God's love, grace, and power. Praying Grace for Women is a 55-day journey of discovery and hope created to lead you to a deep revelation of God's goodness and faithfulness to you. Help your heart absorb the full implications of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Ground your identity in who God says you are and lead you into a lifestyle of rest. And teach a form of praying that proclaims rather than pleads, making you a partner with God. So, get ready to discover grace for rest, grace for intimacy with God, grace for peace, and grace for breakthrough as well as the keys to praying from strength rather than struggling for strength. Okay, now, back to the life-transforming content I'm serving up free of charge today. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians, I want to say 5, maybe 4, about because we don't recognize Jesus according to the flesh, we're not supposed to recognize anybody else according to the flesh. And I 
think that's where judgment rises up within believers? Is it when we recognize one another according to the flesh and not according to what Jesus did to get us out of Adam into the last Adam? That's the hardest thing, especially in close-knit relationships. When you see flesh, is to, is to recognize them according to who they are in Christ. I mean, he basically says we're not to recognize anybody. It's good. Anybody else? Any thoughts? How does that hit you? That hit you as being right? Mm-hmm. It's all new to me, so I'm still processing, process, processing it. Bob, would you speak a little bit to just kind of that tree of knowledge yeah, of good and evil thing? About, is it Mark? Is that your name? Yes, sir. I, I don't remember which verse, but I've often kind of harkened back to that one because I think the whole idea is that we know somebody by the flesh or know them by the spirit. I don't think that's just about what we perceive about them, but what mechanism by which we perceive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that the knowledge of good and evil is a way of thinking. It becomes kind of the... the paradigm of the mind that we evaluate ourselves and everything based on evidence and reason and rational thought and comparing just kind of what we see with our eyes believing that that's all there is Um, there's in Genesis 4 when he hides the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he doesn't just put a guard in front of it he literally disguises it so that we can't get back to it and I think there's a way of seeing that we left the garden with that way of seeing is, you know, we look at people and our natural way of seeing is, are they tall, are they short, do they look smart, do they look good, do they look bad? And so recognizing someone by the flesh isn't just what we see about them, but, but by which we see. And to me that applies to everything. How do we read this? How do we, how do we perceive the world around us? How do we perceive the, the teachings of Jesus and the, the expectations of God and all those kind of things? So I think that that shift for me personally became such a big uh, paradigmatic shift way back, I forget how long ago, but um, you know, I, I know that excited about your book, I, I used to mm-hmm. speak specifically about grace. And then when I started looking at the tr- those two trees and recognizing that that was the thing that went wrong, I realized that everything changes when you see through the tree of life because you're not looking with your previous, with, with our fallen sensory mechanisms. So right. I don't know if I'm speaking to what you want me to. No, no it's, 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 it's absolutely perfect. Uh, there's, there's this thing that we have been habituated to as a way to think that's all about assessing. We're, we're always looking inwardly and assessing and then looking at each other and assessing. And there's always, and, and that assessing is really just another way of saying, of, of judging. Um, and uh, we're about to hear, it's a five minute thing from Sean Bowles in just a moment, but he's about to talk about how um, compassion and, and seeing the, the, the essence of what he's going to talk about is how that one key, to, to, especially to operating in the spiritual gift of the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge, is about seeing people like God sees them. It's by looking at them through the tree of, the tree of life. He, he'll talk about treasuring people. You know, uh, I don't want to steal his, his thunder, but um, 
he'll talk about how when he's about to go pray for or, or minister to a group of people, even though they're, maybe they're strangers, he begins to sit down and think about them and treasure them in his heart. And that treasuring them in his heart is about seeing them as God sees them, valuing them as God values them. And he's going to tell us that that's his key to being able to hear from God about them. Not only that, but that unlocks the gifts of people. Mm -hmm. Because it's the same creative process you see in the garden. It's the Holy Spirit hovering, because we know the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So when that Holy Spirit hovers over the gift and loves the Himself He's seeing in that person, it literally calls the Himself and that person to the surface and lets it be seen. And I couldn't get off just a minute ago when you were using the word for the hearing heart. What's the... Yeah, uh, yeah, Leib Shema. Yeah. I could not get off of that because in the, this is where I was going, was the menorah that you celebrate Hanukkah is really a celebration of the Holy Spirit and His gifts. There are nine candles. There's the attendant gift, but the attendant gift that ignites everything, which would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we saw on the day of Pentecost, which manifested in praying in tongues, ignites all nine gifts. And it is the one that ignites them all. But when you're saying that word, I thought, that is in that word. Mm -hmm. Because the attendant candle is called the shamash. Mm -hmm. And it, praying in tongues, is the practice of quieting your soul and listening. Yes. Quieting your soul and listening and giving expression to God. And it's the practice of it. It's really good. good. That is good. Um... Paula, your ministry often puts you directly in trying to help people who have been through really horrific things, really hard, breaking, shattering things. And so, what is, how does this apply to that healing, holifying process for them? Um, when you would, when we'd go into those places, the dark places, and you just know that it's like god give me your eyes to mm -hmm. see them and you see the innocence and the purity and you see things that uh that you wouldn't see if you saw with your fleshly eyes yeah. and um it's amazing what happens when you when you settle and you shift into the love extravagantly you know, because Christ's love was not cautious, but extravagant. We're called to love like that. And when we see through God's eyes, you can't help but love like that because it comes out of you. And you get they get to experience you in a way that has no judgment, no fear. And because people, you know, they either want you to be afraid of their stories or they're so afraid of their stories, they don't want to share it. And when you give them just that space to say, hey, I see you and I love you extravagantly, then, yeah, so all of that just makes my heart just leap. <laughs> so good. So good. I was just thinking about a text conversation I had this week with uh, my son-in-law, Cole, and I can't even remember what came up, but we were just texting back and forth, and it prompted in me to remind him that the two effects, the two effects of the fall, once Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the immediate effects were twofold, fear and shame, yeah. fear and shame. 
And what's astonishing to me is that so much of the of the way I say we as the church, capital C Church, capital W we, especially pastors and teachers, have essentially tried to use fear and shame as as tools of getting people to do the things. Yeah. And the the two the the very two things that were the effect of losing that connection with God, um, you know, so so many. I don't mean to be critical of anyone. We're all doing the best we can, but uh, so many pastors seem to be afraid to to put down the stick of fear, to because they're afraid if people stop being afraid, they'll stop doing the things, and. Fear has never been a good reason to do the things. And then the other thing is that if we stop fully walking in shame, there's something, there's something about that freedom that people have that actually is frightening to some, to some people when shame's not a part of the equation anymore. It's a perceived safety in being able to control people. Mm-hmm. And fear and shame are great control mechanisms. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a perceived idea that if we can just keep everyone inside the box, then, then we'll be doing our job. Yeah, yeah. There's another way. We're walking, you know, we're, we're doing our best to walk in that way. And it's a way of freedom. It's a way of being able to just... And that's, you know, I've done my best to pour a lot of that into the pages of Praying Grace, uh, as well as you guys know. But um, about walking the way of life, and the, and that that frees us up when 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 fear and shame are no longer a part of the equation. You're free for the very first time to not be self-conscious, and that's where I'm going to play the Sean Boltz thing. I promise. Uh, but that's kind of. What I was when I was listening to what he was saying, what he's talking about is losing self consciousness, and you can't be free to to lose self consciousness until you just get your identity really rooted into sonship and daughtership, you know. Um, and uh, we renew our minds to the fact that you know we have Jesus's righteousness and. And that we are wholly, fully accepted and wholly, completely loved. And there's no earning, there's no meriting, there's no qualifying. And um, that that place of liberation frees us to be others, others conscious, others aware. Well, we've rounded third here and we're heading for home, but we're not quite there yet. First, page three. Just a reminder, my devotional, Praying Grace for Women, 55 Meditations and Declarations for Beloved Daughters of God is out, and you need to run, not walk, your clicky finger over to your favorite online bookseller and grab it. Do it now. I'll wait. Oh, and uh, while you're at it, grab my newest devotional, Praying Grace for Men. I promise you, they'll deepen your understanding and experience of all Jesus accomplished for you through his sacrifice. Well, that's it for this outing. Join me here next time for the new and better podcast. I'm David Holland.